this is Listeners, welcome to this spaced out, far out new episode of Warped Celluloid. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my co-host, Chandler Williams. How's it going, Chandler? What's I mean, what are the vibes like on this spaced out Sunday morning? You know, pretty pretty groovy, just chilling. Got some homework to do, but uh, otherwise it's a nice. In front of me, I'm just oh yeah, here. nice flaming lips records. Well, oh, nice. It, yeah, it's a nice, nice, good yep. fall Sunday, anyway. so. Anyway, if in case everyone's listening, our Hour of the Wolf episode should already be up at the time of recording, but we will have another one episode out since we missed last week. We'd like to apologize in advance, but um, something came up. Very in love, and, yeah. you know, it happens. Yeah, we're doing it back-to-back right now, so. Yep, back-to-back, and next weekend we'll so- we'll also have an episode, so it's going to be a total fucking spooktacular, whatever the whatever the halloween pun is i don't know anyway back on topic chandler what film are we going to be talking about today today we'll be talking about mandy What are you gonna do with that man? We're going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil! You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. Oh man, they wronged you. Ah! Ah! the cosmic darkness. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. (laughs) 
Where to begin with, uh, with a cosmic trip out like this? Well, uh, this was actually my first time watching this movie, so it was it was a lot to take in. I I didn't take nearly as many notes as you did, so. I think you only took like I don't know half a page, and I took. Hang on a second, counting really quick, counting, counting, counting. Almost three. How many times have you seen this film? Once, twice, three times, actually. Nice. But all three of which were, were with friends. All three. Yeah. With friends, good. because it, this is a really interesting movie to see people react to. Oh yeah, I bet. I like watching people watch movies. Um, yeah, sometimes it can movie. be really fun. Sometimes it can. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be very the, telling. The entire reason I rewatch stuff is, oh boy, let's see how they react to this scene. <laughs> like I, I'm just like bouncing in my seat with my, or like rubbing my hands together in glee. Yes, I know the feeling. Anyways, where do where do we where do we start with this? Well, it's October. I figured, or this was going to be an, or this would be uh, definitely territory we'd have to cover at some point. Well, we've already talked about one Nicolas Cage movie, Wild at Heart, so. Mandy feels neck or feels obligatory. Yeah, totally. Um, and this is a great Halloween, you know, one of our October episodes. Yep. So, although we do not recommend taking drugs while watching this, it's going to make you feel high enough. Trust me. Oh yeah, watching it sober will make you feel totally I was high. Say, but, uh... Imagine taking acid while watching this. That would just be horrifying. Oh yeah, that would be definitely be a bad trip, yep. no doubt. You know, the most amazing bad trip though. <laughs> Wait, uh, so Mandy was a movie that got really big a couple years ago because it right, the few good Nicolas Cage movies that come out these day, days often do. Yeah. You know, so many paycheck um, gigs because he owes money to the IRS, right? Oh, nice. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, he, he was like massively in debt for a period of time. I mean, you're like, you know what? I can't blame it. Him, paychecks to pay. It reminds me of an interview. I think I brought this interview up before with Michael Caine where he talks about, look, my dad was a coal miner. I'm lucky to be doing what I am, so he kind of, like, takes it in stride. That makes sense. I Interesting. I respect. Yeah. Um, I, starting off, the music, absolutely awesome. Absolutely. Um, this was, uh, I believe, Johan Johansson's final score, which, well, at least one of the. Them and man, is this one go off on because it it's got a surprising amount of variety to it. It fits, it fits the film like a glove. I think that's pretty much undeniable. Oh yeah, the King Crimson King Crimson song in the yeah, opening credits. Regardless, it just opens the movie off so well, just with like those fuzzy guitar riffs. Riffs, it feels really hard. Ran lived in and ground. Ran grounded, yeah. but also kind of tr- spaced out and trippy. I'm saying spaced I- out a lot in this episode. It's it's appropriate. No, it's it's a great tone to start off on, and it it has a feeling of you know there's there's a lot to lot to come. Um, yeah, it's trippy, but it's also very world weary, which fits the film. Which uh, you know, unlike our the our last episode, I think this is going to be a really easy film to sum up plot wise at least. There's this lumberjack played by Nicolas Cage, and he and his wife Mandy living out in the middle of the woods in um in in around the early mid eighties, eighty three. That's when I think. Yeah. Place. And then uh, there are pieces disturbed by a cult, and uh, Nick Cage has to take them down. That's literally it. Yep. He sums it, it up. About plot, or about mood than plot. Yes, definitely. I would. I would agree. Um, plot is very straightforward, and 
you know, once... Simplistic. It is very by the... I don't want to say by the right numbers, but, like, straightforward, like, beat, beat. Right? Like, this happens, this happens. It is more about mood and atmosphere building and character. Yeah, totally. Because once, you know, once, spoiler alert, Mandy dies, um, and Nicolas Cage has to, you know, go get revenge, that's, you know, that's it. We're, you're set. That's all you need to know. By the way, I feel like it's worth mentioning. We talked about how our now we're out of the Wolf episode, or so the title card shows up twice. The actual title Mandy doesn't show up until after Mandy dies, which is, hang on, I think I wrote it down here, an hour and fifteen minutes into the movie. Which I th- I really think it worked like that, unlike um, Hour of the Wolf did, know. only because there are other title uh, like chapter title cards in before that, you know. So this is like the final chapter, Mandy, which is also the title of the film. Yeah, it's um, divided into three title cards. There's the Shadow Mountains, there's the Children of the New Dawn, and there's then there's Mandy. Yeah. I think there's three. I mean, I can't remember those. Titles. Yeah, I think there is. Yep. All of which, I think, I actually recognize they're fairly color-coded. Like, the first one is, or is like this really sparkling, shimmering blue which re- represents like the colors of the lake and the water in the surrounding water water but also gives like a very tranquil peaceful vibe that right, that world was in like it's right, the text is a lot more violent right, like it's more jagged it's more violent than that rather right, than the music cue or any cue comes in and it's really actually effective storytelling i mean just through like one little thing yeah a great job of like visual contextual storytelling until this I think this is why it's become a personal favorite is that not only do I notice new stuff or enough with each viewing, it's always fun to show people. It is all. Oh yeah, yeah. Watching a, a movie with someone for the for the first time for them, it's yeah. You always yep. notice something new and like they'll also notice something you new. Like a secondary high of being able to experience it for the first time or in time again. Yeah, just alongside someone. Yeah. Totally. Anyway. Anyway, one of the other things I like about this movie upon repeat viewings, which it's a movie that I, mean, I get if you just get it you know, one and done, but for me, it's just something I keep love coming back to. The pacing actually gets better for me with each viewing, because at fir- first I remember being a little impatient through the first hour, and then I'm like, okay, then I get with it, and I'm like, actually, this moves a little more smoothly than I remember. Yeah, it's steady in its own way, which I did think, you know, this was my first time watching it, so I thought it was a little slow. Um, like even down to the blocking, just the characters walk slowly. Um, I which I think the whole thing feels like it's this like entrance, which I I think. Look, I know we talk about drugs a lot in this podcast, and if you're not into that sort of thing, I'm sorry. But with a movie like this, I think it's damn near impossible to do so without talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. everyone yes. is in a constant <laughs> daze. Even the, the silver characters seem like they're not all there. Yeah, and it it makes the viewer also be in that daze, you know, where like everything is slower and just, everything reads so much hazier, um, yeah. and it, it's just it's a vibe. Yeah, I think the whole movie. Is, <laughs> I love how quiet it is in spots. Like obviously not like completely silent because of that ju- or that badass heavy metal score that goes through that the whole thing. Thing, but like how little of dialogue there is. Most of the characters barely even speak. Cage's character is mostly pretty laconic. That's for sure. Yeah. There's something, well, elemental, I think is finally, I noticed, God, and I'm not just talking about, like, the way nature is used in the film, which is really lovely. Like, that shot I remember pointing out to you where it's panning across the trees and the light just shimmering through them. It's 
oh, just so beautiful. Oh, yeah, that, that was one of my favorites when they were in the boat and there's that pan out. Yeah, oh, yeah, the zoom right out in the boat, like, the use of water is, like, a tranquility, but the fire in is, like, the use of rate. Right, it's not the deepest symbolism, but it's effective symbolism. Yes, and just a great visual. Everything about this movie, I think, elemental is the prime word because of how primal Cage's, for lack of a better word, Cage's rage is. How for uh-huh. the way the setting is used, the simplicity of the story, everything about it is well baseline, and I mean that in a good way. Minimalist, except for the visuals, I would say. Oh God, yeah, and yeah, that's definitely minimalist is definitely not the word I'd use. Oh no, they're which has it has a very startling and vibrant use of color, but it's very much usually one color per scene, like red or in reds, blue, well, especially reds. <laughs> the main character is even named Red, which I actually think you'd have to check the or in the cast list to uh, check. Yeah, yeah, I would agree because I did I did not know that I didn't catch that. Uh, but the color palette, it's. I would I would consider it over the top and very extreme and heavy, but in a way that works. I remember I showed you the nerd writer video about a film grain with this, which first off, if you have seen this movie and love and love it, go watch that video. I will put it in the link for this. It is I'd consider like essential. Um, I don't want to extra textual da- yeah, like it, data. Yeah, it really helps held my appreciation of it. There's a couple oh absolutely that features an interview with the director of Panos Cosmato. Knows that I think I've adopted into my own filmmaking ethos, which is time has no meaning anymore. Choosing an era for your film is like choosing a color, which yeah, I that... think is a really—I don't want to say brilliant, but really insightful way of doing. It. Yeah, Absolutely. Think about it these days. Time really doesn't have a lot of meaning anymore because we've remit, or I mean, because originality shines through mainly through re- how you remix stuff, not how, or in what story you're telling. Yeah. Because I think that applies especially to Mandy because we've all seen revenge stories in movie. Revenge is one of the most cinema, innately cinematic story tool, tools in the box. But you've never seen a revenge movie like this. No. Would you consider this movie visually um, reminiscent of the 80s? Not particularly, no. I think Okay, because it, it is set in the 80s, but yeah. yeah like, we're going to get to this later, like the, like the old TVs. Or stuff like that, but I can't think of a lot of stuff from that time period that, or that what this is imitating because its influences aren't always clear. Like obviously the cult stuff is drawn from stuff like what Hills Have Eyes and Texas Chainsaw, or in Texas Chainsaw the color, or in the colors and in the slow motion vibes feel like drums from something like Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yeah, and even the set, or in the backwoods set, or even like the biker guys look like something from a Clyde Barker movie. But there's no one thing I can say this is like. In any, in many ways, I can think. I mean, the closest thing I can think of comparison is Evil Dead, and that that it is so singular that I can't really think of anything to compare it to, like directly, outside of like odds. I mean, picking up select odds and ends. It's very eclectic overall. Oh, definitely. But cohesive. Yeah, it is a movie that is a very clear vision. I mean, like, oh yeah. Every step of the way, every frame, every shot, every cut, it is deliberate and precise. And this is the film they wanted to make. This is unquestionably Panos Cosmatos's ideal vision. Absolutely, and that's I, I'm I'm happy for him that he you know yeah. got to make what he wanted to make instead yeah. of you know studios in the way. And by the way, for a for a movie that only cost six million, good oh, wow. God, does this look better than like ninety percent of blockbusters? How does this movie get more colorful than most superhero movies these days? 
this like grimy ass horror movie with with an insane amount of blood and like sorrow with anger with like an actual seething anger have more color and vibrance than something made made for general audiences. It's the original originality, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I don't think I got that or quite got this high in a movie from the last decade other than It Follows. Like in terms of feeling that or in how refreshingly original a film a horror movie felt while still feeling indebted to the past. Although this I'd argue is a lot harder to pinpoint the influences of. Outside of like again, specific like little details. Like it follows is broadly like, oh yeah, this is clear and clearly no much John Carpenter or Wes Craven. Like especially Wes Craven, especially Yeah. Yeah. But this this is like a lot more varied. Like, yeah, I mean it's got like old TVs and stuff like and like synth music and heavy met and heavy metal inspired visuals, which Chandler, you pointed out like the in the animated segments actually did feel like the movie we covered a few weeks ago, uh heavy metal. Animated. Oh, totally. Yep. But they there's work. They work. Green orb. Yes, there is. <laughs> I'm sure they were aware aware of that reference. Yeah, I mean, I I was gonna say that has to be an intentional homage. There's a lot. Yep. I think the whole movie I think is really unique. And you could also like, technically, you could say what happens is rain could happen in real life, but it's rain filtered through, through such a psychotropic, fantastical vision that. It feels like another dimension, in which, another thing I noticed about this, this feels like it takes place in another universe. It has that Wes Anderson quality, of, like, it feels like this little pocket of the Earth is the only world that exists within the context of the film, like, there's nothing outside it, but it feels so singular and contained that it, I like it when a movie's able to achieve that with it, or with its, or in a sense of setting and production design. Oh yeah, that's super successful. Especially as low budget as this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it's uh, it it's just so much more satisfying to watch when that is pulled off. Yeah. You just feel so much more like engulfed yeah. in the tone and in the story. I don't think every movie things. needs to do this, but I do. No, but when no. it is, it is really beneficial. Yeah, totally. Also, it's very contained. It keeps yep. it keeps things contained. Also. Yep. It doesn't. It or it doesn't. I mean, at least some things open ended, but not. But the pretty much the entirety of the plot is resolved by, by the by the opening credits, which or not the opening the end credits. Fuck. Anyway, which and did you notice that the end credits were completely silent? I, 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 I once like, you pointed that out, I did notice it. I like, oh yeah, it's a it's a good but weird way to let you wind down. I think. Yeah, and it's just like decom- decompress after that. Like, you can use a lot of words to describe it, but if there's one word that I think is undeniable, you're in love with this movie or hate it, intense. Very intense. Yep. And I think the in credits being silent is just a great way to decompress. And I just, believe I called you know, this. Right, this uh, I believe I called this when I um, put this movie on my best of the year list because I mean I remember back when it first came out. I made this in my top ten. It's probably nice. my favorite movie of that year. Looking back, and I it remember twenty eighteen. It, it reaches the perfect nexus of art house and grindhouse. Mm. Well put. It was I mean, 2018, it's, correct? It's got Nicolas Cage in freakouts freak out and good god, that chainsaw sword fight near the end, which is still fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, a chainsaw really fight. And it has some really funny phallics, or in phallics, or in symbolism, i.e. mine's bigger than yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, but it also... This came it, out in 2018, right? Wait, what? What year did it come out? 
Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, 2018, it dropped at Sundance originally, then it uh, hit VOD in theaters in, I want to say late September or early October. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, what were you saying? I'm sorry. I remember uh, what I was saying about that scene. Like, it's got like stuff like that. So if you want to watch this purely as like a midnight movie with friends over a couple beers, it works as that, even if I would uh, recommend uh, tempering your expectations regarding the pacing of it. But it also works, I think, as a serious mo- or a movie because it's got a real sense of anger and sorrow to it, which I... Oh, yeah, there, there are, you know, heavy emotions going on, and you definitely feel for <laughs> Nick Cage's character. It even does both in the same scene. Like, good God, the bathroom freakout, which I remember one of the scenes that everyone talks about with this movie. Movie which, I mean, because it's got Nicolas Cage screaming, which is obviously over the top, but it's not funny screaming. It's like a panic attack. It's, it's like it's sad to watch. And an even more impressing bit, just when he watches Mandy die, just like, or like how he's struggling just to sit there alone. Like he wants to cry, and he's like, it's legitimately gut wrenching, and not just because of the extreme graphic violence. Yeah, just like watching him like scream, cry. It's it was visceral. Yeah, it's what. It's this is the, shit like this is why it bothers me about the whole lol Nick Cage is a bad actor. Let's watch him in over the top shit because it it feels dismissive. I think is the best way I can say. That's a great way to put it. No, I he, he I very much respect him. He's a great actor. He there's, really goes for like, it. He still does good movies. He's like there's a movie he did with David Gordon Green called uh, Joe that is actually worth checking. It. I mean, like he's still even now every now and then like amongst the direct the DVD crap. Or any crap, he still is able to pull out something like this, or this, and just, or, you know, like every now and then he'll pop up in something worthwhile. Well, so it's not like he, or he's gone completely down the tubes either, and it's not like he's become a worse actor either, because even in the shit he shows up, man, he still is ready to play one hundred percent. Oh yeah, and I very much respect him for that. Even in the again in that stuff, like I watched him, he doesn't look like he's slumming it. No, no, or just in it for the paycheck. Or even though that's usually the case, because again, the IRS thing, which, man, there's a lot of funny Nick Cage stories, like the time he stole, like, a dinosaur skull and had to return to a museum. <laughs> and the fact that he wow. adopted the surname, and the surname Cage because he is, well, this isn't news to film fans, but, uh, or, you know, he is actually part of the Coppola dynasty. Or, and he took the name, because he's also a major comic book collector, uh, or, and he took the name Cage from Luke Cage. Which is such a cool fact. Yeah, it's cool. Did not know. Did not know he was such a big fan of that character. But neat. I also feel like I want to see another Panos Kismatos movie because I remember this is his own, only his second movie. He did a movie back in 2010 called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which I don't think is as good as this, but is definitely just as visually distinct and then explore some of the same ideas, especially the whole new age science cult stuff. Yeah, I could see that being like his his area. It's on Prime, or in Amazon Prime and Tubi if you want to check it out. You know, it's not a hard movie to track down. It's not. Interesting. Which I think now is as good a time as any. Uh, if the name Cosmatos sounds familiar, it's because, well, speaking of di- or in, or in, uh, Hollywood dynasties, this or in, Panos Cosmatos is the son of legendary uh, in, journeyman director uh, George P. Cosmatos, who you know for Cobra, Rambo Part 2, or in Rambo First Blood Part 2. He also did Tombstone. Of unknown origin, like dude had an interesting career. Yep, interesting. It's it's interesting to see what you know, son like sons and daughters, children of directors do, and how that relates 
to their parents films like there's a reason hollywood nepotism is such a joke in in society but there are right the the rare occasion where where uh, it turns out for the better yeah like you said the cronenberg film was good his son yeah, which i right i have to say which funny enough also has andrea riseborough in it <laughs> who plays mandy and this and i'd argue also oh, captures a very similar mood and aesthetic it's probably the closest thing i can think of in the last few years that other than beyond the black rainbow that's co- even remotely comparable to it nice yeah i i still want to check it out i'm gonna wait till it comes it out it is but. a nasty little piece of work much like like this but seriously i remember i i saw this in a theater with a friend i'm like we were we were gonna get popcorn but didn't I'm like you know by the end we were like you know that was a wise decision that was a good choice because we probably yeah. would have because it probably would have came right back out but I mean, by the time the movie was over <laughs> Anyway. Well, um, I, I, I don't know. I love the gore in this film. I, it's oh, over yeah, the top. It's brutal. It's when brutal it, like, and over the top, but in a way that just works with the film. It doesn't feel oh, too out of place or too over the top. I love, I love the bit where he chops the dude's head off with that battle axe, or an axe, and it looks, and it looks like a fucking roasted marshmallow. Yeah, and then he like <laughs> he lights his cigarette on the flaming head. It's such a good little badass <laughs> action movie touch. Oh yeah, well, which was like cheesy, but I think self-aware. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. The whole movie, it's such a difficult balancing act, which I think actually Evil Dead is a comparison, is because there's moments in Evil Dead too that are legitimately scary. I mean, but it's still really fun. I mean, really funny and entertaining, and like, yeah, yeah. I I think that's one of the closest. I, mean, I don't want to say it's exactly like it because every movie I think should be viewed in its own terms, but still. In terms of, like, the cultural image, I think Evil Dead is the closest thing I can think of to comparison. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And, they're, like, along with the, glo- the gore in this film, there are some really cool, like, action sequences and fight sequences. Yeah. Just, like, the... The chainsaw, the chainsaw sword fight, which is just so... The way it's shot, to the use of silhouettes and, like, the smoke. Right, the light... First of all, the lighting throughout the whole film is just immaculate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The use of, um, like, lens flare, flares and crossfades and out of focus. Yes, it... It it keeps you in like a dreamlike state throughout the whole thing, and you know. for just like a you know a visceral action, absurd you know fight scene of two chainsaws, yeah, and, and one of them is absurdly big. As you said, cohesive. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it gets like, ridiculous, it still it still holds you with it, which I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it still stays on, stays on track. Art house and grindhouse, because one supports the other in this case. It's like. Right, it's like a perfect du- right, dual, th- right, dot. What's the word? Dichotomy. Dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think benefits the other. Yes, yes. I think more so than the chainsaw fight scene. I like the um, like when he goes in the demon's house and just killing the demons, yep. like fighting them. I like that scene a little more. A knife cock. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, uh, you're, another reason I love revisiting this. I don't know. It's just I love to give. A- just that little bit of time to forget how weird some other little details are, so it can still shock me when I rewatch it. Oh yeah, and like little he's bit. snorting a giant pile of cocaine while watching porn, and like you know, holding it's so. His... Yeah, and they're and it's still playing in the background while and while they're fighting. Yeah, that's just so it reminds absurd. Me of but... the American Werewolf in London, where uh, John Landis shot that fake porno. Uh, see you next Wednesday. And uh, they're just dusting all this serious, like, werewolf lore and stuff, but you can still hear dialogue from the porno in the background, and it's legitimately really funny. 
So it creates like this tonal dissonance, but like a, a funny, a fun kind of tonal. Not like unintentional. It feels intentional. Yeah. But still cohesive in a goofy, you know, absurd way. And then when he, like, right after that, when he dips his finger in the demon LSD, that was just yeah, an awesome. Yeah, just an awesome sequence. And like, got, how, you know, of like, you know, like the chemical, like the chemical sky, like, or like dripping, expanding outwards behind the silhouette of that mountain in the ship, and the, I believe, a cell tower or some something, some sort, or some sort of radio tower, radio tower behind it. It looks genuinely, whoa, that is impressive. Like, it feels like it's hitting you potently, in a way like I have never seen anything like this before. Yeah, and I think that was where he knew to go to the cell tower, you know, to get the, um... It's a... It, again, this movie you know. is really good visual storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it is kind of, I mean, like, it is sparse and minimal, but it's also kind of deep in my... In its own way, yeah. I would, I would agree. Yeah. It's... The whole thing is just this massive cosmic head trip. Indeed. It's... it's you know, the best way. I do love how much the movie blurs little lines between the fantasy and reality, and not just with the animated dream sequence. So it's with, again, like, those acid-soaked sky, or in skies, and the fact and the, and the fact that the bikers are basically just Cenobites from the Hellraiser movies. Yes. <laughs> like, that mixed with, I believe you pointed out, like, Slipknot. Like, discount Slipknot members. Yeah, yeah. Their costumes were so awesome. Um, and, like, the, the sound effects along yeah, with the costumes to make them... Uh, and you, I remember you leaned over to me and asked, like, are they demons? I'm like, I don't, I don't remember. And then one of them spoke, like, yeah, they're demons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, if they were on, like, you know, motorcycles, I thought that was just awesome. Like, because they could have been on, like, you know, like, horses or, you know, what some demon stuff. But, like, motorcycles that just added to the film, you know. An yep, another little scene that I, this is very early on that I didn't even think about until now was, the fat dude in the background of the uh, little caravan that the cult drives in when we first meet him, he doesn't get a word of dialogue. We don't know his name. He gets killed off very quickly, and yet we get his whole deal. And like we we get that he doesn't he doesn't fit in with the rest of the group. He's probably just a hitchhiker they pulled right off. And like in that, not only do they sacrifice him, they've probably done this shit a lot right before. More oh yeah, right. Which and that was it was kind of entertaining, you know. <laughs> and like again. All that with no dialogue and barely a bit of screen time. It's really effective. God. Yeah. And there was only like two lines spoken about him like in reference to him, and we still got his deal. Another right, little thing like that. I remember a, a tweet from Todd in the Shadows, great music YouTuber type guy, who was talking about the movie Co the Pixar movie Coco, and he's like, this movie only works if it's titled Coco, because the character, if you think about it, is such a small part of the plot. Plot, but the title keeps her in the back of your mind, and remember, and so it makes the ending hit all that more potently. I think a similar thing applies to this with Mandy. Yeah, he is basically I, the I pride and reason. Like, I mean, like she feels like that, like just this moment of respite. Like, I again speaking of storytelling in subtle or in like technical ways, the use of me, not only just the score, but the use of the score. Like how a lot of this is like this droning metal. Or in metal with like, I mean, like these almost like Viking like sounds. Like it sounds like a whole if the whole movie was scored like by like the Doof Warrior from Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, back to what. 
saying like just like when you listen to the actual Ma- or in Mandy's theme, it's just this really lush, almost like harp like. Where like it's this ethereal, it's spacey, it's just it feels like meditating, like just breathing in and out, like soaking in the world around you. It's it gives me the sense of peace whenever I listen to it. Yeah, and I liked the scenes with her a lot. They really grounded the entire film, I think. Just like the scenes where they're, you know, just telling stories to each other or or they're like laying down. It's really quiet and lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a nice contrast. It's just so achingly sincere and haunting and beautiful. Well, it honestly breaks my heart listening to it because I remember, oh yeah, the man who did this died young, relatively speaking, he was in his fifties, but still. And so, like, we're never going to hear anything like this again. Yeah, so, and it, it just makes this score, you know, that much All that more haunting. Special. In, I mean, like, elegiac, I think, is the word. Or in Melly mm, that's, a, that's a good word. Yeah, and speaking of movies we covered before, Dead Man, I think, is probably the closest. That is to Westerns what that is, is to whatever the genre you con- or in, or in classify this in. Because I love movies that def- or that you can't neatly put in a box. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't define as, you know, that fit into a certain genre. Angry. Oh, yeah, totally. It's not just anger, anger, though. It's sorrow, like, genuine sadness. Like, here's the thing. Even by the end, Cage is, like, driven insane. It doesn't feel satisfying. It just feels like a thing he has to do, not a thing, the thing that it doesn't feel righteous at all, like the anger. Or because when, or in, when like, or in the cult leader dies, who... By the way, Linus Roach gives a great, 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 like, thoroughly despicable performance. I mean, it's like, you hate this guy every every second he is on screen, but you love hating him. Yeah, yeah. Like, his death... Which is always, like, the best performance. It's honestly kind of pathetic. Yeah, he offers to like, suck his dick. Like, he offers to fellatio when he's on his knees and about to die. <laughs> Which... Which- is- Oh, funny, and place. how odd and startling it is, like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? Where yeah. Also like, yeah, I can see why you'd say that. <laughs> Again, that whole movie would be playing at odds with itself, but it it plays the tone so well. The conflicting tone. Yeah, yeah. Also, is it me or does Lin- Linus Roach basically look like, an Al- like a blonde Alice Cooper, but without makeup in this? Yes, I remember you saying that, and I, I, I can see it totally. Yep. And like yep. just the way he dresses in the film. Yep. Every, every one, or like he's like every one of these guys. Like again, one of the things I don't think this is specifically tied down to the '80s is because again that whole cult and the image, like these sort of Manson want to be like folk singer. Or, or like everything about, or good God, they named out the Carpenters at one point, which is most definitely not the '80s. Yeah, yeah. Pretty like mid seventies. Although we do like the Carpenters, they're fun. A lot more pleasant than uh, this. That scene where he does mention the Carpenters that 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 was great. That yeah, really that whole scene. Speaking of the the movie feeling like a drug like trance, you got the the used to light trip or in trails and the or in the crossfit or in fades and the or in the sound mix. Good God, this whole movie is a you could teach a class on the sound design and mixing in this. Oh yeah, totally. 
Um, yep. And like in that scene where they um, they mash like her head with his face, you know, like they 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 mixed up the yeah. faces, which we brought up in that Nerd Rider video. You know, like it's not it's not only cool visually, it's good storytelling. Yeah, and it's kind of subtle. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I don't. I was gonna say I don't even remember that when I was viewing. It is like, oh wait, there's they're meshing the two faces together. Yep. Which I've never seen before. Yep. It is like a genuine burst of creativity, which got. Oh yeah, on all fronts, a burst of creativity. You know, the battle also the battle lines montage. I mean, speaking of the only like direct eighties homage that I can think, like a straight up homage. Is when he's making the or when he's forging the battle axe, or as it's referred to on the soundtrack, forging the beast. And that was just so badass. Just watching it Nick Cage like, do that. It looks like the opening of Conan the Barbarian, where he's forging the sword. Where the dad's, it's the exact like it's shot the exact same way. You've got some similar music. Yep. So badass. Yep. This whole movie looks like a Dio album, like a Dio or a Meta- or a, not even Metallica Mega Death album cover. Yep. Or like Tool. Yeah, well, Tool. I'd say more so Megadeth because of the sound. Okay, yeah, yeah. But Tool isn't a bad comparison, though. It's weird. Also, that's, I want to go by the title card just for like a brief minute. Do you, you usually either see them like just a little late in the movie, like at most like ten or twenty minutes, or at the very beginning, or at the very end. In the case of someone like Christopher Nolan or like Man of Steel, or they like you never see it like this late. I mean, late, but not too, like, unless it's, like, the very end of the movie. Like, yeah, like, just like with Hour of the Wolf. But with this, instead of Hour, like, uh, you know, differing from Hour of the Wolf, it works because there are previous chapter, you know, title cards. Like, I also do like Andrea Riseborough's performance because people, right, like, I think this, or in the way this movie treats, remember, men movies to often treat their um, characters characters who are getting vengeance is like, oh, they're not very developed and they're only here to motivate the main character. Sometimes that's okay. Like, I don't think this movie does it in a way that feels, well, ignorant. Right. right. Yeah, like, it's not just a vehicle for the action and yep. cool and fight also, scenes. Feels, the whole movie is supposed to feel, or to feel like space or anything in ethereal and like more or acting on emotion and then actual, like, plot. But again, with the self storytelling using the score, score, she, Mandy feels more like a like an idea, or idea and a feeling than a character, which I think works. Mm, like her presence yeah. just emanate, emanates and, and reverberates throughout the rest of the movie. I mean, like when she's gone, you feel it, even though she doesn't say a word and you don't really know much about her or Mandy herself. Which again. She like the way she affects Nick's cage, Nick Cage's yeah, character. Like, at the end, when he hallucinates her in the car and flashes back to when they first met, party, or in party. That was just, that was fantastic. It, I think, another word I'd use to describe this, like, potent. It is a very, like, when I think of how something pitches me chemically, I don't think of drugs. Like, it feels powerful. I mean, like, it feels like you're it's altering your brain. I'm just really like, whoa! I haven't, I haven't thought, either haven't thought about that before, or I haven't thought about that in a long. Time. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that was just a great like flashback, um, and just a great way to end the film. Just he, him seeing her in the car, and the flashing back to the party, just very, very briefly, and there's not even any dialogue in it, um, and then like the reverse shot, reverse shot of him and his like crazy reaction. Got which has which become which 
actually has been a come a film Twitter meme, which I don't mind. It is cr it is crazy. It is pretty, cr and I think intentionally, like one of the one the one moment that is unambiguously full on cage going craziness. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it just looks so funny, and it's also just a great shot. Yep. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. This whole movie movie is just like an aesthetic. Oh yeah. I. Yep. Which is what. Again, I think we brought this up before, and we we are not the first persons to think we're going to say that first people eh, to say this, and nor will we be the last. But this is a movie that I think is one hundred percent a giant fuck you to the idea that style can't be substance. Yeah, yeah. Because the again, the style is the substance. Another another strong part of my fil personal filmmaking ethos is form should follow function that the way you tell a story is just as if not more important than the story you're telling because that's yeah, how I, I agree with that. like you can have a solid script but it still have a terrible execution in, in which no, i'm not going to name it or names obviously because it's just the point. point but you could also have a script that is very sparse like even something like blade runner which where they had a really good script or in script and even during production no one agreed on what they were making and yet it still ended up being feeling like this living, breathing thing. Yeah, and it turned out absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I would and love cohesive. To I would love to read into more of the production of this movie because, good God, just knowing how they were in like the, all the color, in colors they use in the light, in the lighting. This is just like even just on a technical level, this is gonna, this is making my inner film nerd just salivate. It's sort of like the Homer Simpson drool here. No, I I can agree. Yeah. The whole, by the way, the whole cult. I think this is a movie that I'm. Well, I'm never gonna show my parents this, obviously, but the the ending in particular, I feel like it would ring rub my parent, my dad, the wrong way. I mean, also, spoiler the alert. The movie ends with Nick Cage going to like this abandoned church, church and finally tracking down the cult leader there, where he's just like wallowing in the, in self pity in this well pit. And it ends with him, well, burning it down to the ground. Which, and the heavy use of it in the metal, which, I can see some people saying this is Satan, but I don't think the movie is anti-religion. I think it's more anti-cult than anything. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's anti- Because of the design of it and the minimalism, like, it's clearly this humble, small-town thing that's been perverted by the by these hit, weirdo hippie freaks. Yeah, Nick Cage, you know. It's made it's Get like salting the earth, or it's like burn, burning everything down and then salting the earth, more or less, in a more well literal and figurative sense. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't consider it anti-religious. Yeah, um, but, but I not, understand yeah. why some people would be turned off by this. Yeah, yeah, this a, yeah. I do. Where this is one of the. I. It's funny. I watched this and House of a Thousand Corpses in the same weekend, and because Rob's on, he's also a filmmaker. I understand people who love it. And I understand people who hate it, and that is perfectly fine. Well, not only perfectly fine, but it's rare that I can completely understand both part sides of an issue like the when it comes to film or in film fandom. This is I, although I argued this is a better movie than most of what Rob Zombie's made. I have not seen Rob Zombie movie. I'm familiar with his music. Yep. If you like his music videos, you'll de you'll like his, at least House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Which I okay. Will get to in the in the whatever other else to earn stuff with. Again, by the way, right away, uh, God, 
I would. I hope. I mean, we don't have to wait another eight because Mato's his next movie. Because, I mean, again, I brought this up before, but I really hesitated. I mean, watching one movie, declaring someone big thing because it often and puts all. I mean, not. I mean, it not only overhypes things, but it puts undue burden on filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, like, good I, God. I mean, remember that uh, news we cover that just declared uh, Shyamalan to be the next Spielberg, like, right after Signs came out, and then uh, then The Village happened, and that whole, and that legendary kind of dry run before he did Split and The Visit and Glass. And we, more or less, he's found his footing again. Yeah, I don't like the idea of doing that to filmmaker. Yeah, although it does make me very them, helpful to see what... He makes it the next. feels too declarative way too early on in their career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. In the moments instead of just let, letting it live and breathe. But Panos Cosmatos, I genuinely think he's probably going to be one of the best filmmakers of this generation. Really? Yeah. That, that's how I feel about um, uh, David Robert Mitchell. I And I agree. I'm very hopeful for him. Episode. No one, and honestly, when it comes to a great filmmaker, like again, if someone's gonna renew it with this movies, and I try to be very um, right, sparing when I could say this, because so if I say a filmmaker with not that much under his belt, going to be a very big, or not only a very big thing but an important thing, I mean it, and and it must mean that they're bringing something unique to the table that has. To, with David Robert Mitchell's case, it's basically. Really doing or in movies about youth like no one else else with with not just honesty but insight insightfulness. It's, it's movies about youth as youth sees it. Absolutely. Yep. In the we way that we've never seen. From it a cur- I one of the things that good God we're not and we feel like we're reaching the end, but there's still stuff I haven't even covered yet. Like I think the movie has a really we've touched on this just a little bit, but I think the movie has a very interesting nostalgia in a way. Yeah, that, yeah. It is clearly indebted to the past, like, good God, the fact that it's set in 1983, the... Is it, you know what? Fuck it, let's just talk about it. The Cheddar Goblin commercial. Which, <laughs> speaking of things from this movie that become memes... I'm not on Twitter, so I don't I don't know yeah, all of the... I remember, movies, good but... God, the t-shirts for this thing were everywhere for a while. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yep, I still kind of want... It's hard... It, it, this feels crass saying this, but fuck it. It feels like Horror Phantom's Baby Yoda or something. Like just like this ubiquitous little character, right, like character. That sounds awesome and hilarious. <laughs> yep. Although I fi- and yet somehow I find this right, little right, vile creature that vomits mac and cheese to be infinitely more charming than Baby Yoda. <laughs> anyway, it's like the little right, like I don't think the movie right, is right, like it feels weird. Like I think, and especially as someone who loves like eighties pop culture and stuff like that, is indebted to it in his own aesthetics and taste. I'm kind of annoyed with the modern approach to, hey, it's the 80s, it's showing up everything off, like, something, because this feels authentic, again, honestly, not entirely, I mean, with it, what's the word, it, it's not looking through rose-colored glasses, other than in the sense that there's a whole lot of red filters in this movie. Because, yeah. Again, how critical it is of, like, the whole hippie new age thing, how a lot of the stuff is there just as, like, texture. And even the right, the right, the funniness of the Cheddar Goblin commercial feels like a cruel joke on Nick Cage's character because it comes right after Mandy. He watches Mandy burn to death. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's like hard to watch. Yeah, it be in funny. The Redler, you know? video in, on this, which I'd also recommend watch. And pointed out that the right, that it also works symbolically as a the world at large does not give a shit about your personal problems. Where like, 
like even if you you suffer like this what feels like this horrible cataclysmic life turn the world at large is just going to keep spinning it's not yeah. a, I don't think, i'm not sure if that's a broader theme about the whole movie but it's an interesting little it's definitely a theme for that scene or it's what that the that scene is trying to say i think is that I think the movie? I don't think the movie delegitimizes either because again, or again, there is some like all the scenes in the cabin with just Mandy and Nick Cage alone, like when she's drawing or reading, or they're, when they're just like talking intermittently on the couch, or in the couch. There's something warm about it and inviting, and well familiar. Yeah, and I think those scenes help ground the, the entire film. And speaking of, again, the whole thing. This feels like its own thing. It, I think the thing, or the thing I love about Panos Cosmato's approach to in this kind of filmmaking and nostalgia is that he he looks back to look forward. Is that it's not so much this reviving for the sake of fun, which I can get behind, but I feel like that's most of the '80s nostalgia stuff we get these days. Like Stranger yeah. Things, especially in its last few seasons, has been guilty of this, even though I I like Stranger Things as much as the next guy. Yeah, but as well. it feels like again looking back and seeing like what else can we do like toying with it and experimenting in it it feels like it's trying to do something new it's playing with old tools to do something new which i think is the best way to do it if you're going to make a nostalgia piece yeah would you consider this a nostalgia piece somewhat it's yeah. again it's hard to put this in a box yeah or any box um i i would yeah i, I mean i would consider aspects of it nostalgic but uh sure more of a period piece than nostalgic and even the, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because the th- weird thing about '80s nostalgia is that everyone loves on like the same like select few thing, or a few things. But we, there's also when you really do deep dives, there's stuff in there that people just completely forget about. Which I'm glad. Which I think one of the reasons I love stuff like this is that it goes into those niches. Yeah. This, this is very niche. Yep. This film. Like again. Again. Something, the closest thing again, like something recent I can think of, is one possessor in terms of like the literal sense. But in the, I mean, this is for a very specific taste and audience. Is oh, probably totally. uh, Anna Lily refers to the Bad Batch. Okay, I've heard which, of it. Which is it's last time I checked, it's still on Netflix. Which that's definitely worth a look, but I cannot promise you'll love it. Again, that is for a very much an acquired taste. But it also feels like it's kind of look. I'm looking back and using old, older things, but in a new context, or in text, in a way that's trying to, well, I don't want to say deconstruct, but find new angles with. Although I argue this is a much better film in some way, even though I'd both say both are pretty great. I'd prefer this. Although those, that also has a fun, or in a very enigmatic cult leader, although it's not, he's not as despicable as Linus Roach is, one, because he's Keanu Reeves, and it's possible to fully hate Keanu in anything. <laughs> Yeah, Jim Carrey plays a homeless person, and uh, Jason Momoa plays a ca- plays a buff, ca- tattooed cannibal called Miami Man. This movie is really interesting, is what I'm saying. What 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 is it called? The Bad Batch. Okay. Yep. I'm writing it down. Yep. I will send you the letterbox link later. Anyway, I feel like right, like uh, we can segue into stuff we've seen this week, which I already mentioned. I watched The House of a Thousand Corpses, which. I don't know why I think this long, but that was so much fun to watch. Or anyway, like it, this and Grindhouse and a few others or in select titles feel like this should be playing in the background of every Halloween party ever. 
Yes. Like, yes. The whole thing feels like basically like a Texas chainsaw. If Last House on the Left Hills has eyes, rip, but like drenched in like candy colors and ghost train aesthetic. Things like fake skeletons, old horror movie marathon, marathons, like wearing old Halloween colors. Oh, it's like it's just so strange in that style that you're either gonna ride with it or when you're like ride or die with it. Yeah, you know, I get that. And I'm very mixed on here. Like I consider like myself like an outside observer. Like I'm not a diehard. I'm not as hard on his work as some other people. Like I who's, who's work? Yep, uh, Rob Zombie. Okay, okay, yeah. Because I remember people like his movies are always interesting, even though they're never good. Like Halloween Two, like his his remake of it. Up, he was like, is neither of his Halloween remakes are technically good movies, but good God, are they fascinating? I mean, like I could spend hours talking about them, especially Two, because Two is just. It is one, probably one of the weirdest mainstream horror movies I have ever seen. That's a bold statement. I, uh... yeah. It's like genuinely, it is, like, good or bad, it's irrelevant. It is fucking strange. Yeah. I think I might go to a full deep dive because it's still over the course of the Halloween season. And it was working, I'm really curious to see what the rest of it is like, outside of just hearsay, like actually sitting down and watching it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm. Now that we're in the Halloween season, we're uh, we're well into it. But um, I while like, we're still well into it, I'm gonna get into the uh, '70s horror yep. um, collection. Yep. Which I will ha- ha- gladly walk you through because I'm still discovering '70s horror gems. And God, that that was just such an interesting time for horror, too, in terms of like so- the way it's social commentary, how grimy it was, how experiment, how borderline experimental it was. Was it? It really. Everyone talks about like how great the '80s were, which I understand because for a while. Well, afterwards, there was, like, that dead zone of, like, the 90s. We didn't really get much in the way of horror, and then in the 2000s, where we rarely got anything worth a damn, mainly because of remakes and and trying to recapture the J-horror magic and whatnot. But the 70s really were a great, like, a great period for horror, and not just for, like, the big titles, like The Exorcist, Chainsaw Massacre, and Halloween, but for, like, all the, the little stuff, like Giallo, or in a film, or in films, and hell, I just watched one on the Criterion channel, which I'm <clears throat> sponsored by Criterion, or in, in the 70s horror collection called Long Weekend, which crosses with another interesting 70s movement, which was the Australian New Wave, which was how we got filmmakers like George Miller and Peter Weir, or in which I think I'm really discovering a fondness for, actually. We get... Long Weekend, anyway, back to the top at hand, it's about, or it's about this couple, or an Australian couple who go to this, be- or go camping on the beachside, and well, Nature deciding they've had enough of their shit and going after them. It's a slow burn, but it is definitely a very unique film. You know, like, again, blurs those genre lines. Like, is it a thriller? Is it a horror movie? Is it both? There's also some really, really lovely nature photography. One of the things I miss about the 70s uh, cinematography when it's, like, the way right, film captured out-of-focus imagery. Like, oh, like, totally. Crane gives it a genuine texture, I think. Oh, so much more so than digital. Yeah, which digital I think has its benefits. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I don't mean to just like dish. Yeah, again, di- film and digital, like it's like the debate between uh, practical and CGI. Both are tools in the same box, and both have their very specific uses. Yes. One is not better than the other. They are equals. One should just not one. I mean, they should and like e- equals, and one should not have dominance over the other in terms of how much they're used. Yes, just same with like vinyl and digital. Valid. Yeah. Like and going back to him, like Shyamalan for a bit, he I just found out he's shooting uh, his new movie old, which hey, good for him, man. Yeah. What else? I I haven't I haven't watched too much outside of um 
you know the films we watch for the podcast but uh i rewatched palo alto which i absolutely love nice the james um, franco yeah yeah, he's in yeah. There. the only reason i remember yeah. this is something he directed but i don't know maybe he just has that that vibe to it yeah no it was uh, directed by gia coppola but um like i saw I that mean, film in high school and coming of age films Dynasty. oh yeah totally um no i just i just love the coming of age genre and this one just hits so hard and it's it's got a a very defined aesthetic um like within the coming of age genre and it's just so i don't know i just i just love it so much dude i really need to check out risky business because that is a movie that is more or less the graduate for the reagan years and i'm okay like i think both which are on par with each other as filmmaking goes i'm yeah i'm embarrassed to say that i have not seen it yeah it's one of those movies that i think is mostly famous for one scene scene and the fact that it made tom cruise a star like everyone knows the old-time rock and roll but that is a movie that is more or darker, much more melancholic and honest than I think people remember, which is w- why I still unreservedly love it. Anyway, I go circling back to Mandy for a moment. If the, I mean, one of the reasons I, I mean, love stu- I mean, stuff like Lord of the Rings is that they've be- become kind of talent pools. Like, once the stars are like done with it, they've done, they've gone on to do whatever they want, and it's usually pretty like Robert Pattinson with I mean, Kristen Stewart Twil- Twilight, which they got mocked for at the time, but I think they're fairly respected now. That's fair to say, right? Yeah, yeah, they they they've done some really good things. Rings, Elijah Wood, who has his own little company for producing horror movies called Spectre Vision, which go through their back catalog because there's some really cool stuff they're doing right now. Like everyone's and, talking about like the whole A24 elevated horror stuff, but I think this is way more interesting and ver- has more variety. And they produced this actually. Yep. And speaking and speaking of Elijah Wood, I watched a recent horror dark comedy thriller. Which speaking of stuff that's hard to put in the boxes. It's a movie on Amazon Prime called Come to Daddy, which it's about a man, um, young man or a man who's a bit of a loser who goes tries to visit his estranged father after a per- unexplained period of absence and uh, after receiving an odd letter from him and shit goes crazy afterwards. I really don't want to spoil what happens afterwards, but let's just say it is a very well done dark comedy with it's very strange, disturbing in bits, very well made on a filmmaking level too. Which actually this long weekend made a surprisingly good back to back double feature. Nice. Anyway, anyway, it's you're not going to see anything else like it this year, as I'll say. I mean, like, it like is it a horror movie? Is it a thriller? Is it again? I mean, very hard to pigeonhole. Yeah, yeah, that's always a good thing, I think. That's a sometimes sometimes it mostly is, yeah. yeah it uh, yeah mostly yeah um cool what, what would you give this out of ten? I'm still going back and forth between a nine and a ten. Nice. My on my first viewing, I would give it an eight, but I'm sure that would increase with subsequent viewings. Yeah, that was my, the case for me too. Here we go. This is a movie that I think is going to go down as one of the horror movies of the decade. That's that's a good thing. Yep. Good and thing emblematic of certain parts of this decade or in decade in terms of like young young filmmakers dealing with film history. This stuff like this is why I'm so have such a bug up my ass about or in film students not real. I don't want to say not having respect, just having apathy towards film industry, like just right. Which yeah, you... it annoys me that people don't have the same taste I do. I could I couldn't give a shit one way or another. It's annoying because there's just so much. There is just so much stuff that's waiting to be rediscovered. Or right, like, hey, maybe this could influence you. And like, and generally, knowing history, forget film history, but just knowing history is important. It's how we learn. Absolutely. No, and going going back to film history has taught me and, and influenced me and inspired me so much. Like Tarkovsky and Bergman, like 
and yeah. even like then, like you can discover like little gems and stuff that other people that might. Now, which is why I feel mad when people discover Scorsese again because he founded that World Cinema Project, which has given light to so many other stuff that I don't think I would have found out otherwise. Absolutely, and I think the Criterion Channel for you know my my film history yeah. and singable films. If you don't terms. end up loving this or incorporating aspects into your own work, it's still important to just like know have his background. Because I think, honestly, the more you know, the better person you are, generally. Yes, I would, I would agree with that statement. And again, I, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because, again, I pigeonhole myself in my own specific case. But I still try to get reach out of my comfort zone every now and then. I still try. Yeah, and just, you know, see other people's ideas and beliefs. And, and uh, if um, I may segue likes. back to the, what else have I seen this weekend. Uh, first off, special thanks to a uh, friend of the show, uh, Timothy Condra, for loaning me the criterion for this. But I finally buckled down, and as someone who's not a big musical fan, but again, more of an outside observer of them. I finally watched Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Holy fuck, is this a great, great movie. Right? This is what I want of how music is used in film. I want it to have energy. I want it to have a sense of life to it and rhythm. rhythm. It's just also electric. We're in electrifying Roy Scheider's lead performance, the way it's edited, the way it's shot. It's, you know, it all feel, I mean, it feels like it's just this, almost like an, op, an operatic. I've heard so many good things about it, and I, I really want to see it. It's tied with uh, in Kagamusha for the Palm Door that year came out, and well deserved because this is just an like if this was Bob Fosse's final movie, which it wasn't. There, he did a movie after this called Star Eighty before passing away. Anyway, but holy shit, would this be one to go out on? As like a thesis yeah. statement on one's career, like yep, you know, it's just like just this like Titanic thing. Like if it were more in our general line of uh, would do all that jazz. Nice, nice. I yeah, it's on my list. Yep. I anyway, Mandy. Yeah, think it feels weird because I always feel just a little sad when we wrap up on episodes like this because I'm like, are we sure we did we covered absolutely everything? I mean, I'm like, looking over my notes right now. I yeah, the going back to the animations. Not only were they very reminiscent um, of heavy metal, but I think they really worked. Um, yeah. like as dream sequences. Like dream sequences, so it's not like they're in Congress. They have a very clear, specific purpose. It's yeah, they add a lot to the story. They add a lot to the character and the mood. Yes, absolutely. I think it also reminded me of Under the Silver Lake, how their animations used in that, but they're used yeah, it, only kind of for like style, with more color. That's more like or like more built to resemble fan scenes. This is more like heavy metal the magazine again, which but I don't yeah, think it's really no. added to that specifically. More like the genre. Like I remember. Or someone described this as like a live-action Metalocalypse episode, which <laughs> yes and no. Stylistically, very much so. Yeah, yes, but mood-wise, I don't think this is more 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 than just some parody. Yeah, I don't know, no, but like going back to what I was saying, the animation is—it's solely, um, you know, contained to being used for um, when people tell like the folklore or myths of the area. You know, it's not just oh, yeah, like they use it whenever. Um, so I really liked that aspect, and I thought that was pretty inspiring, yeah, it's honestly. It's hard to pin down what exactly it is, I think, is because it blurs the, lo- I mean, the line between fantasy and reality. Because this is a very fantastical movie in some way. Like, I think, honestly, especially the forest stuff reminded me this way. The only thing I can think of in terms of how a movie is completely entrapped you in its world and atmosphere is, oddly enough, Ridley Scott's Legend. Which is, a fa- basically, the first movie he did after Blade Runner, and I'd argue just as technically astounding as Blade Runner. Seriously. I mean, look at the Blu-ray stills from this movie. It is astounding that this is a movie made in 1985. If it were for the age of the actors, you wouldn't... 
Like, it is, like, visually sumptuous. Anyways, the sound is... Like, is also great. But, no, it's a lot more, um... Ethereal, like, a lot more chipper than this is, but... But still just a, just as, um, moody. Yeah, yeah I, I remember you showing me, uh, some of the stills, and I, I just wrote it down on my list, but, uh... Yeah, I, I wanted to get into more really really Scott, because I have not seen his entire no filmography. At all, you probably know it for Tim Curry's performance as Darkness. He's basically the, de- the devil. Like, just the makeup on that and his performance has become iconic. The one part of this movie that I think everyone is iconic, and also a, an urban legend that is very, based on some very uh, questionable speculation that this inspired the Legend of Zelda games. Oh, interesting. Which, which is not really true. It's more... Mainly because one, this movie came out in '85. I mean, they came out the same year and not too far apart from each other. And games take a lot of time to develop, or develop just like films take a lot of time to shoot and edit and write and whatnot. So more, or less, it's more like a confluence of event or an events than to one directly inspiring the other or vice versa. Yeah. But the link is definitely <laughs> link. Bumps. <laughs> yep. And it's not like like something like Escape or like uh, Metal Gear Solid pulling. Where um, Hideo Kojima directly admitted to Salt Snake basically being a riff on Snake Plissken. Why do you think they're both grizzled dudes or brunette dude, dudes who had the with eye patches that have the name Snake? That's not a coincidence, which I love. Yeah, I like when people are open about their influences or, yeah. you know. Which I don't think or anything is, is like, which is why I think I have shifted away from terms like rip off and whatnot. Yeah. Or whatnot is because again, influence can be shown in so many different ways and recontextualization. This movie, I'd I wouldn't even call this an homage. I'd say it's more of a, or more of a recontextualization. Mm, yeah. Like pre- pre- well or put. Like, or or uh, like, you know, like so many different things. Yep. Yeah. Originality shines through again in the way a story is told, not the story you're telling. I Absolutely. I think. Yeah, the sound design too, and not just. I think the sound design is generally great. We're just gonna go to little things like before we wrap up. Yeah, no, it it, it adds so much to the tone. It helps yeah, build it the tone and atmosphere. Too. Yeah, like, it's like a little thing to do, like especially like the way again, like the way everyone's voice and how deep and how deep and raspy the cult or in every member of the cult's voices are, and and the movie isn't like constant noise either. There are down, which I think is important for something like this, and not just the only conversion to Orient of Fury Road, because there, because as heavy as this movie is at times, or at times there is just that little bit of levity, even if it does kind of run a bit towards the end. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen this in in theaters. I would too, and not even just for the visuals. I think I'm realizing one of the things I miss about isn't just like seeing something on a big screen; it's the sound. It's the way, like, it just completely envelops you in a world, world like, just those giant sound systems. Yeah. When you open your, yeah, um... You hearing this on, like, a good, or in, like, in an iMac. Totally. Now, when, when you open your own, um, theater, you need to show this. Yeah. That, I would definitely screen this. If I ever ran, like, a New Beverly-style place. Yeah. Doesn't Tarantino run that? Yeah, he does. Like about a decade ago, it's still still around. Yeah, around the pandemic, but hopefully. Anyway. No, that, that that's awesome that he a can do that. I wanted to mention where one the, the performances of and all the and all the Randy Kelt members were really cool. 
I really, I really like Bill, right, Bill Duke's cameo as Carruther. Right, he's the guy who gives him the crossbow. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. His character is also. I think one of the uh, that scene I also think is relative and is quite important to the whole revenge not being cathartic at all. Right, is him right, clearly having just a little bit of reluctance, but also like, hey, this is just it's still justified. Like he's like basically as a way of like giving him conscience. I'm gonna help you with this, but I also want to make sure you're still you by the end, by the time you're finished. Which is very cool and respectful, and it just makes Probably, a cool scene. It's both, I mean, it's both like cool, but it's also like soulful. Yeah, yeah. This whole, mo- anyway. Also, wh- like, fine. One, one last thing, or anything. I think I've covered pretty much everything. Or anything is the and red is one of the most commonly used colors in film film but it's it speaks to something when a filmmaker is able to make commonly used in film their own which i think panos cosmonos does here like people use red but i don't think people use it quite like this yeah yeah it's it's kind of where um like visual effects meet storytelling you know and speaking of evil dead like the only thing that comes close in like mainstream filmmaking is the end of the still kind of rules and by the way, uh, a fun fact about that: they used a hundred thousand gallons of fake blood for that, or for that movie. Wow! Like two like giant ass tanker trucks full. Wow! And, like, and like, the ending literally paints the world red with blood. And there's a moment that is so gory and shocking that I could not believe I I saw this in a mainstream movie. How the fuck did that thing not get an NC-17? Was this NC-17? Uh, no, this was actually unrated. I think. Okay. We had a very limited theatrical run, and it and the rules are a little more flexible for indie movies. Like they, like ratings don't often matter, don't matter as much. Yeah, yeah. Because I I didn't think it was R. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I mean, like I was gonna say, this couldn't be anything lighter than an R. Like this is a. Oh yeah, totally. Anyway, the, that is the I mean, the closest thing like mainstream comparison like recent. Right, is like just how but. Although that's more brutal for like fun, or in a fun, or in a fun way. Like, or like, let's just see how much crazy shit we can do, or I do with like household appliances and like how bloody we. Can. That feels I mean, more intentionally like fun boundary pushing, while this feels more, or in more experiment, well, literally experimental, or in also in the I want to see what kind of creative stuff. Or in, like, there's a sense of fun in this, but not, or in, but not glee, but not glee. I'd say, like, there's yeah, it's it's a very creative horror movie, or. It's a movie in general. Anyway, I think that's it for the week. Next week, we it's funny we mentioned Rain Brandon Cronenberg and the Things Full Circle. Circle will be covering his father, or a certain film from his father, which also I think, which is one or a set that which came out actually the same year this movie is set, nineteen eighty three. And I I have actually never seen a Cronenberg film, so I'm very excited to watch it and talk about it. I was gonna say try and go through as many as you can. I'll make a list of the stuff to check out. Already, I'll do and that. Next week will be our big Halloween episode. Yes. Yep. I'm debating. I'm actually gonna. Put, you know what? I'm gonna do something fun. Rain for a change. Change. I'm going. I'm going to put listeners. If you're really interested, go to our Twitter and vote. You don't have to have an account. Just vote. Rain. I'm gonna put up a poll. Do you want Rain for when you want our next episode? Would you like it next Sunday, or or Monday? Right. I remember I dropped on Mondays or on, directly on Halloween. Rain, because I was thinking about. Because Halloween falls on a Saturday this year, which is neat yep. because that means I don't have we're gonna have to be in class. Yes, it'll also be my birthday on Halloween. Well, happy early birthday, Shannon. Then. Yeah, thank you. 
we'll we'll do a more more dedicated segment next episode. I promise. <laughs> That's okay. Yep. Anyway. Um. But yeah. Um. Cool. That. Anyway, like just do, let's do the quick thing. If you want to follow us on Letterbox, just search our names respectively, Jack Rourke and Chandler Williams. If you want to follow this podcast on Twitter, and it's just at Warp Celluloid. DM us. Our we're open. If you want to guest on the show, just give it new this thing, and we'll talk something out. If you just want to suggest a film, sure. We're gonna go by. By all means, go ahead and suggest something. Yeah, totally. As long as it's not Shrek or the Room, for the love for the love of Christ, <laughs> stop giving us Shrek or the Room. We're professionals. Yep, we're not doing like it's just obvious, and it's usually like a crank call. Like I'm just numb to hearing it. Yeah, just kidding. We're not. We're not professional. If you have something else that you think is like little scene, we will add it to the list. We we yeah, can't really yeah. cover it immediately, but we will cover it at some point. If you think it's you know up our alley. Yep. Or even even if it's just like worth checking out, we'll still watch it and we'll try yeah. to twist it. Anyway, thank you for listening. I think this has been a great episode. Yeah, totally. Thanks for listening. Yep. Peace, man. Peace out.